the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Father Mike DiMarcangelo. Um, I've met many of you, and uh, I'm excited to, to share that this is my last time preaching and celebrating not as associate rector. So next time I'll be, I'll be on staff, uh, which is really exciting. Um, with mid-November about, I'll be joining full-time. Thank you. Thank you for your warm welcome. So I want to uh, redirect our attention back to Ruth's words, her famous words to Naomi at the end of Ruth 1, specifically Ruth 16 through 17. She says, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. These are amazingly beautiful and poetic words of blessing. And one of the questions I have when I read it is, where, where do these words come from? You, you don't get a, a really great picture of Ruth and Naomi's relationship. Um, but you do know that there is probably motivation for Ruth to leave Naomi. There's probably more security for Ruth to return to the land that she grew up in, to return to Moab. And um, there's a lot of questions about her future, a lot of suffering that might be ahead if she's with Naomi. There's no um, husband for her. She may not have children. There's no one to provide financially for them because they live in a world where women struggle to, to provide um, financially of any kind. So why this, why this great risk? Why does she make this decision? And where do these beautiful words of blessing come from? We may, we may say maybe it's the workings of the Holy Spirit in some way upon her life. But I also wonder if um, Naomi has played some kind of role in this. If God has used Naomi to kind of birth a faith in Ruth, to love Ruth into a deeper faith with God. She shows a willingness to dismiss Ruth, even though she would be alone if she did so. And it's this moment of Naomi kind of loving Ruth and Ruth returning that with blessing um, that I find really fascinating. I think is so central for the Christian life. Uh, the Christian life, when we interact with brothers and sisters who can empower us and pass on the faith to us, and then at a certain point, we are charged to kind of do that, do the same, and love others into the faith. I think Naomi and Ruth, just spending a little time with them and thinking about those words of blessing, um, really makes me wonder, too, about Paul and Timothy's relationship. And that's what I want to spend a lot of our time looking at this morning, because I think Paul and Timothy are a great example of um, someone loving someone into, into the faith and entrusting them with the faith and charging them forward to share the faith. And, and um, yeah, so I, I want to turn our attention to Second Timothy. Now, before we jump in, there's a bit of a story that surrounds this letter. Paul um, met Timothy uh, not until his second trip to um, Lystra, where Timothy grew up. His first trip to Lystra on his missionary journey, Paul travels there and he heals a, a man. And uh, 
Um, he heals a person who's crippled. And in response to this healing, all these people are drawn to Jesus. And a church, a, a young church begins there and begins to form in Lystra. And so years pass and Paul returns on a second missionary journey. And here he finds Timothy as one of the kind of blossoming leaders in the church. Timothy is said to be someone who um, was raised by a loving mother and grandmother, Eunice and Lois. And Paul sees this blossoming faith in Timothy, and he begins to invite him on his missionary journeys. Uh, He makes him not only a companion, but also a co-laborer, a co-author. Paul, early on, begins to entrust Timothy and empower Timothy. And you see in 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, all these other letters, that Timothy is is a co-author with Paul. He's named as someone who wrote these letters with Paul. But beyond just being a missionary with Paul, they know each other intimately. Timothy isn't just some means to a missional end for Paul. He's not just someone he's identified as a gifted leader that he wants to empower and send out so that more people know Jesus. No, Paul cares deeply about Timothy as a person. And you see that come out in their their relationship, which is wonderful to see. Um, He says, as, as he sends Timothy to the Corinthians, for example... See that you put Timothy at ease, for he is doing the work of the Lord. Welcoming, welcome him well. Show him hospitality. He's kind of covering him with his blessing. And he's also familiar with Timothy's hurts and pains and here actually stomach ailments in 1 Timothy. He tells him, gives him some advice. No longer drink only water. Use a little wine. Watch out for yourself, Timothy. He, he knows him well. He's trying to care for him. This context of a life intimately familiar with Timothy, um, Timothy knowing Paul, is what eventually leads to 2 Timothy, which is Paul's final letter. It's the end of his life. In many ways, it's his last will and testament, especially as, as someone who doesn't own much at all. He's in a cell. He's imprisoned right now. He knows that the end is drawing near. At the end of 2 Timothy, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. His ministry has been marked by suffering. And he continues to suffer. He's bound in chains, as I mentioned. But not only that, he's marked as a criminal, as it says in 2 Timothy 2.9, which is part of our reading today. This word for criminal isn't um, a, you know, a, a simple word that covers all criminality from, you know, petty theft to murder or something. This is a significant word that uh, appears one other time in in, uh, the New Testament uh, with Luke's gospel and his description of the criminals who are to Jesus' right and left and being crucified with him. These are criminals who are bound to die for their, their crimes. And these are criminals who have a social stigma about them. Paul has this stigma. He has people leaving him left and right as he testifies throughout this letter. All in Asia have turned away from me, he says. There's one guy, he says, one guy stayed with me, visited me, but everyone else, they're leaving. I'm alone. Paul expresses confidence in his Lord, but you can't help but wonder how lonely he's feeling. And he's not sitting in the position that we are, looking back, on 2,000 years of church history and knowing that the church has thrived and will thrive. 
he, he probably has a lot of questions about what that future will look like. Like Naomi and Ruth, do we have a future? I'm sure there's questions um, and anxieties and fears. Not only is he alone, but winter's coming. And he asked Timothy to come soon and bring him his, his coat. There's all these intimate moments of true loneliness. He says, not only that, when you come, bring the cloak that I left, also the books above all the parchments. These amazingly human moments of him wanting to find some final solace, maybe in the scriptures, maybe in old correspondences, maybe in his favorite books. And parchments that he hopes to write, maybe, maybe a couple more letters to those he loves before he dies. But the one parchment that he does have he uses this parchment to write to his beloved Timothy. I thank God as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, he says at the beginning of this letter. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. We don't know why Timothy was shedding tears. Perhaps it was for Paul's suffering or perhaps it was for his own because he too is in prison. He too is suffering for the sake of the gospel. So then the, the question arises, what, what does Paul want to say to Timothy in this critical moment of his life? This is the last words he might say. He doesn't know. He doesn't know how soon he will die, and we actually don't know how soon after this he died. What will he hand over to Timothy? How will he, he entrust him with this future? How will he love him this final time? I want to uh, focus on three different things he says to Timothy and then offer a final reflection over Paul's words to, to this disciple. First, my child, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This phrase captures so much of the gospel and so much of the, the major themes of this entire letter. All three of these points that I share with you, I think, capture the themes of the entire well, letter well. Be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened. It's a passive verb. It's not be strong. In other words, Timothy, you aren't making yourself strong. God is making you strong in his grace, in his love. Be strengthened. He hasn't made, you haven't made yourself strong. He has made you strong, but you're strong. This isn't just some passive reception of grace and love and now I'm okay. This is be strengthened, receive this grace and be empowered to go out and be entrusted with the gospel I'm asking you to share with others. I think um, this, this be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus is captured really beautifully in the, the poem the um, the kind of creed that Paul shares later at the end of his uh, at the end of this section. He says, "Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the church, the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory." And then he says this this kind of poetic stanza: "If we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we were faithless." He remains faithful. All of this is about being made one with Christ 
sharing in Christ's life, being strengthened in Christ, but always remembering that it is Christ's grace that makes us strong. And that's captured so well in the last, the last sentence. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. It seems to contradict if we deny him, he also will deny us. But no matter, no matter what we do, no matter how much we sin, even after receiving Christ's love and being strengthened in, in God's love, if we are ever faithless, he will remain faithful. Be strengthened, Timothy, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This isn't your strength. This is my strength. This is the Lord's strength, Jesus' strength. You're noticing I'm shuffling papers a little bit right now. I, uh, I noticed a few too many yawns this morning, the, the first service. <laughs> so I tried to rearrange things a little bit. They were like uh, homiletical guinea pigs. Hopefully this is a little bit more concise. <laughs> So my children, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Number two, you like the long sermons? Okay. (laughs) And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. This is verse two here. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men or faithful people. So much of Timothy's legacy and Paul's legacy is captured in the words of what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. As I mentioned before, Timothy has this legacy of being loved into the faith by his grandmother and mother, and also by Paul. And this, what, this, this mention of what Timothy has heard in the presence of many witnesses repeats throughout First and Second Timothy and all of Paul's correspondences with Timothy. People wonder, perhaps this is a mention of his, his baptism, his baptism as a, an adult. Um, for example, First Timothy 4, do not neglect this gift that is in you, which was given to you through the prophecy with the laying on of hands. Or fight the good fight of faith, take hold of eternal life to which you were called and for which you were made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This mention again of being in the presence of many witnesses for this momentous occasion. Guard what has been entrusted to you. Paul keeps on reminding Timothy of his baptism, of what has been entrusted to him in in the public place, in, in the midst of many witnesses. This comes out in our baptism liturgy in the, in the ACNA, um, where someone isn't baptized on their own, right? They are baptized in the presence of the whole church, and all of us stand together and renew our baptismal vows. Every time we come into this church, the baptismal font is there to remind us that we are made one with Christ, that we share in his death and share in his new life, too, and his resurrection life. Make the sign of the cross in the water. Remember my baptism. That's what we're encouraged to say. Paul cannot let Timothy forget his baptism and forget that he has been made a Christian, that he, he knows Christ in the presence of many witnesses. And not only this, that Paul is entrusting him to carry forth this message to others. I, I've often thought that if I were to ever uh, be involved in a church plant and in naming a church plant, I might want to call it St. Timothy's. And the reason for that is, what better name for a church 
for a church that, that one of its most significant roles is making disciples of people, to name ourselves of being in this long legacy, this long line of, of being made disciples, of being introduced to the faith by others before us, and then eventually being charged to go out and share that faith. All Saints is another good name for that too. The third, the third charge that Paul offers that I think um, captures much of the themes of this letter is share in suffering, Timothy. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Share in suffering. Don't do this alone. Don't suffer alone. Suffering is all throughout the life of the New Testament Christians and really the history of Christianity. In some ways, a lot of American Christians have been sheltered by this because we're used to Christianity being associated throughout a lot of American and Western history being associated with the powerful. But this is changing in our country now. Christianity is on the outs. And, um, and we're beginning to sense what it means to suffer for the faith in new ways, I think. Probably not quite like Timothy and Paul understand it, though, because they're dying for the, the faith. And they're doing it with other Christians. Don't do this alone. I had a friend tell me once, suffering is the dark soil of the faith. This was during probably one of the darkest periods of my life. Um, and this friend um, shared a story of her life and, and said after that really dark experience she had, she realized that's, that suffering is the dark soil of the faith. What she meant is when you're looking at that dark soil, it doesn't look hopeful. It looks really black and lifeless but it's the one thing that brings life. Suffering is the dark soil of the faith. Share in this suffering with others. But most of all, and this is very clear as, as Paul moves forward, share in Jesus' suffering. Know that he invites you to share in his suffering. Paul, as I mentioned earlier, says that he is a criminal. He is the worst kind of criminal. And another person who was the worst kind of criminal in the eyes of, of the Romans and the eyes of everyone around was Christ. And he suffered for that. And Paul shares in that. And Timothy is invited to share in this life with Christ. I think all of these, these things, right? All three of these things. My child, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. These charges that Paul gives to Timothy also, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful people. And then finally, share in suffering. These themes we th- see throughout that letter. These are empty words if Paul's life doesn't preach these words. You can say, be strong in Jesus to someone, and it could echo as very empty. Um, I can think of many moments in my life where I'm suffering or I'm struggling and someone says to me, be strong in Jesus, and it's like a curse. Because they don't really know what I'm going through, and they, they don't really want to, to know, and they don't want to share in that suffering together. They just want to give me a quick little, you know, be fine, you'll be okay, be strong in Jesus. This is not the ministry of Paul. When he opens up this, this section saying, my child, that's another Another thing that could be a curse, if you're speaking down to someone and there's this sense of, I'm better than you or something. Paul does not speak like that. This isn't the ministry of Paul. 
In this moment, I'm reminded of uh, some like rhetoric or communications classes I had when I was in undergrad. And whenever you take those kinds of courses, you always study the great kind of communicators of history and of contemporary history. There's usually two that are always on those syllabi. There's Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. There's MLK's Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Had Have a Dream speech. And when you read those speeches, when you hear MLK's, you know, the recording of that speech, there's such rhetorical flourish and amazing turns of phrase and repetition used at the right moments and the perfect ebbs and flows of volume. And this is a master of the craft. But if you plugged in another master of the craft and stuck him on those steps in Washington on the day that MLK preached, um, most people probably wouldn't have showed up. If one of us read that same transcript and had all the same kind of, you know, motions and volume changes, nobody would show up because it's not solely about that message. It's a powerful message. Abe Lincoln's Gettysburg Address is a a powerful address. But the message is in the person. The message is in the man or the woman who preaches it and lives it. And Paul is probably the preeminent example of someone who lived the life and earned the ability to preach, share in sufferings, be strengthened in Christ Jesus, because he experienced those things himself in his, in his very bones. When, when Paul says, my child to Timothy, he's not saying this to puff up his authority or power. He's saying this because Elsewhere, he's been suffering. He says, I've been in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in all of you. He says in the Corinthian, second letter to the Corinthians, I will not be a burden because I do not want what is yours but you. For children ought not to lay up for their parents, but parents for their children. In other words, I call myself father and you child because I want to birth Christ in you. And I want to do all this work, strengthened by Christ, not my own power, to love you more deeply into the faith. He earns the right to say, child. And this whole letter and all these charges that he makes to Timothy are strengthened by the reality of his life. So, brothers and sisters, I won't say my child to you because I don't think I've earned it quite yet. (laughs) But... Brothers and sisters, be strong, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is not your work. This is Jesus who makes you strong. But he makes you strong. You're not just a passive Christian to sit there. You're someone who's made strong to share the gospel, to suffer. And suffering will probably come more in the future of the church in the States. But suffering is the dark soil of the faith. It is what makes us whole and well and gives us life. Some of the most meaningful relationships and moments, I'm sure, in many of our lives have been in the midst of suffering. Not only be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, but be strengthened like Timothy to receive the faith from others who have come before you, to be loved by people like Paul. And I'm sure each of us could spend a lot of time today just reflecting on those who have loved us into the faith but also to take up the charge when the time comes to lead yourself, to take on Paul's mantle, 
and to entrust others and to empower others and to love others in the faith. Be strengthened like Paul too, to preach the gospel faithfully, to identify those who God has called you to be your children, spiritual children or maybe your children yourself. And this isn't to lord authority over them, but it's to live a faithful life that demonstrates you want to love them as Christ loves us, as Paul loves Timothy. It's not patronizing, it's the anguish of childbirth to see Christ birthed in them. And ultimately remember that your life will preach much more powerfully than your words. They go together and that's important. But if you really want to have an effect in sharing the gospel with our neighbors, with your children, whoever it is, your life must preach it. Our lives must preach it. And finally, be strengthened at the Lord's table as we share in Christ's suffering, as we receive his broken body. This is the only gift that can strengthen us. Pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.